1: Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network.
2: Hello, welcome back to The Hash. It's Taco Tuesday. We got the same gang as yesterday. Look at that. We got the (laughs) same people. Adam B. Levine, right above me, Wendy O., and Jen Sanasi. Great to see you guys. Let's kick it off. With some fresh CPI numbers we got adam this is perfect i think we got like three months in a row we got adam for the same story same topic every time don't know how we nailed that adam what we got
3: uh you know it's always interesting to visit this particular topic so u.s inflation slowed its rate of increase just slightly in august according to top line numbers while the federal reserve's preferred index jumped by more than double expectations up six tenths of one percent when the expectation had been three tenths of one percent growth It's all a sign that the US central bank is unlikely to ease up, which is the opposite of what markets for risk assets want. The release of this morning's official numbers dumped a bucket of cold water on crypto traders with most assets trading down, in some cases significantly. August now has the dubious distinction of being the 27th straight month of rising inflation, and I'm afraid it's going to get even worse from there. Although the official story is that inflation is running at about 8.3% annually, which would be the worst in more than 40 years. The way that we measure inflation at that time used a different technique, a different methodology, that the Bureau of Labor Statistics has changed several times in the years that would follow. That means that today's 8.3% number can't really be usefully compared against numbers from the 1980s, but there's still at least one economist out there who continues to track things closer to how they would have been at the time, and it's useful to look at that comparison. According to shadow stats from economist John Williams, where, uh, were we to calculate inflation today as we did back then, we'd be above 15%. And you'll notice on this chart that we're now officially above the entire chart. I've never seen this happen in my entire life. I've been watching this my entire life. You'll also notice that things have gotten a lot worse for a lot longer. And conveniently, the newer methodology really has led governments across party lines. This is not a partisan issue. Pretend that things have been better than they really are. But enough about that. A few quick takeaways from today's inflation numbers. Energy, which had been a big part of the official inflation numbers, saw its biggest dip in more than two years, down about 5% month over month. While food and shelter saw major increases, with food up between 11.4% and 13.5% over the last 12 months, which are the biggest jumps since 1979. And while energy costs, a leading source of uh, price, I'm sorry, you know what, let, let's just let's move away from the numbers. It's all bad. Let's just assume that it's all much worse than they're even worried. We working don't need numbers character.
4: anymore. just bad. Yeah,
3: you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's not a good situation. Who, who wants to take this one first? Uh, Wendy, you want oh, to take I hear it? I Wendy.
0: They just get to move numbers around and put numbers into different baskets and say, we're, we're using this data, then we're using this data, then we're going to take the sample size, then the sample size. And they're just trying to make it, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing at this point. Like I don't even know what to do besides laugh. I will say though, that it looks like we also get to celebrate the historic inflation reduction act as well today. So maybe we can expect <laughs> inflation to go down when we're going to be spending more money on things like climate change and prescription drugs and what whatnot.
2: <laughs> just a perfect bill, a perfect bill. I love the name, <laughs> Inflation Reduction Act during time of historic inflation. Really just poetic, beautiful. Love Washington, D.C. <laughs> Keep doing it. Keep it up, guys. We love that. I want to take a brief step back and look at what this means. Inflation is normally broken down into two sort of categories, right? Inflation as the increase in general money supply, which we know we did a lot of back in 2020 when we were printing stimulus checks. When we moved back into just generally moving money into the market, quantitative easing, revisited. And then you also have price inflation, which is more or less the consequence of printing more money. We're seeing that now, two years later, the cost of everything is going up tremendously. A lot of times economists, mainstream economists, they only look at the latter and look at price inflation. They don't really look at the former. You see the former as some sort of lever or tool to move the market where they want. Back in 2020, we printed a lot of money to keep the economy moving, to keep people in jobs. Now, two years later, we are seeing the after effects. Now they get to study the after effects and try to, again, move some levers to move inflation down. But the tools are not always adequate for the job. We've seen an increase in prices. Energy is a big one for this year. Luckily, the numbers are down a little bit in August but we've also seen food prices go up quite a bit. That's a knock-on effect right? of energy. So you need energy to move the turbine, to grind the wheat, to move the bread to the store. All those parts are just having ripple effects that are really downhill and destroying a normal person's life. So we get to see what economists are going to do, what politicians are going to do going to the fall now, especially with midterm elections coming up. I'm interested to see what happens with that. I'm probably just as pessimistic as Adam, though you do set a very nice tone. It's hard to beat. I, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm going to throw it over to you, Jen, get your take.
4: Yeah. I mean, every time we talk about inflation is just such a depressing story. And I say that every time you know, people's savings are getting inflated away, crypto not really acting as a hedge against inflation. It's interesting. The leader of Canada's opposition party is a supporter of crypto and has urged people to look into Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. And our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, said, he tweeted, telling people they can opt out of inflation by investing in cryptocurrencies is not responsible leadership. Adam, I wanted to get your <laughs> opinion.
2: I hate Trudeau that. even more now. Come on. You've got to pump our bags. This is the wrong
3: message to send. I mean, the thing to keep in mind when it comes to like inflation as it relates to like crypto assets, and you can look at gold and see this too these things aren't really behaving in a way that you would consider a traditional inflation hedge. And that is, at least in the case of gold, in part because they're not allowed to from the way that they trade. There have been a number of convictions over the last number of years for big banks essentially colluding to make money by rigging the gold market. This used to be a conspiracy theory, long believed by gold bugs, but there have in fact been a number of convictions around exactly this. And it's something that appears to be continuing. So again, like part of it is that but the other part of it is that Bitcoin in particular and gold also to a lesser extent really aren't inflation hedges, at least in this sort of traditional world. What they are is they're systemic disruption hedges, which is to say that if you have money that falls apart, well, then stuff that isn't the money that fell apart is probably going to be more valuable than not. And if the stuff that you have is something that, you know, can be, you know, can spoil because you're holding it like it's a bag of grain or something, that's not a great way to do it. So it's not to say that any of this stuff is helpful. It's to say that these are the least worst possible options in a really truly catastrophic scenario. You know what, Wendy, let's throw it to you.
0: <laughs> I just wanted to say, don't tell the Bitcoin maximalists that Bitcoin is in a hedge against inflation because they'll get upset.
3: They are upset. <laughs> I can confirm
2: after looking at Twitter they this morning. They are upset. They are indeed <laughs> upset. What's, let's move upset. on to, yeah, they, I mean, pick a subject. They don't like it. Let's move on to <laughs> trading though, since we're talking about coin prices. Let's talk about FTX, which experienced some volatility and some problems this morning around the CPI print. A lot of traders like to move around the CPI print. Why? Well, there's a lot of volatility and you can catch a nice bag during that time. But FTX experienced some downtime. SBF, the CEO of FTX, was quick to tweet about it and get some teams working on it. But that didn't necessarily stop a lot of traders from having a bad experience. As we've seen in the past with Coinbase, which is very well known in the cryptocurrency circles for having problems during volatility, These things have a stigma and they last long in people's minds. And it does really matter for if your exchange is going to continue to grow. On the flip side, it's very hard to build these systems. It's very hard to build a 24-7 exchange. It's very hard to manage and expect what's going to happen during these times of high volatility. You don't know if your marketplace is going to crash. You don't know if your trading book is going to sink quite correctly. Wendy, I want to throw this one over to you since you are an active trader. What was your takeaway from this story? And do you feel bad for SBF, or do you think they need to step it up a little bit?
0: So this is the thing. I generally don't take trades when there's a lot of volatility in the market like this, because it makes me a little bit nervous, especially with the way Bitcoin has been trading. We're approaching a very important area of resistance. So I'm just kind of watching things. But realistically, FTX has done a really great job of having an exchange that actually works. I understand people's frustration. We like to get mad when things don't work. But again, as a trader, it's something that we should be taking into account into our trading plan, knowing that you know sometimes these systems do fail. So that is something I do like to have jotted down. But again, I will say that FTX and FTXUS have been a lot more reliable than Coinbase because we know that thing always goes down.
2: <laughs> it's a meme. Keep the memes rolling.
0: Got to do it. Bear market I... stuff. Bear market stuff.
4: I love these pictures of SBF. I think the story was a solid reminder that a lot of all of us who are operating in the system, we're beta users, right? A lot of these platforms, marketplaces, exchanges that we're using aren't built to handle mass scale. And we can talk about all of the problems that need to be solved in this industry. I think SBF was at the SALT conference earlier this week talking about, you know, how he's very optimistic about the industry because he believes regulatory clarity is coming. While we still need to focus on user experience and regulatory clarity, the technology still needs to be fixed. And I think that we need to be prepared for things like this to happen if we are participating in these projects and products. And this was a very solid reminder. I saw someone's hand go up, but I don't know whose it was.
3: It was Wendy and I going to fight it
2: was, out.
0: I think it was Adam.
3: Oh Uh-oh. no, my comment was oh, just- Oh man, it was everyone. It was, it was just going to be about uh, socks and shorts. Like every time we, you know, we run this Sam Bankman-Fried type story, we, we play those images. And I have to agree with you, Jen. I think that that's probably the biggest takeaway for me today is that, you know, if you're a billionaire who can look that good in socks and shorts sitting from that angle, well, hey, you've already won the game.
2: The one thing I do want to note is how funny it is to scroll through these Twitter comments of all the people who are really angry. And SPF is in there just like trying to fight for FTX and be like, we fixed it. We rolled out a fix in an hour and a half. I woke up all my developer teams and he's just getting ratioed over and over again by everyone on Twitter. And that just tells you like how much the system has collapsed, where a billionaire, who is one of the top donors to the Biden administration, is getting ratioed by random anons on Twitter. And there's nothing you <laughs> can do about it, right? He's just getting slammed, raked over the coals, and everyone is agreeing with anyone who's attacking SPF. No one wants to be on his side. That's because of
0: the very toxic culture of crypto Twitter. But if you actually take a step back and you look at traditional financial systems, they go down all the time too. They're not much better than what FTX is or Coinbase or whatnot. And they're closed. They don't trade 24, 7, 365 like crypto. So I get the frustration. I've had problems with not being able to trade because an exchange has gone down. But at the same time, I really think it's important to look at the pros and not the cons. Like, we're very lucky that we have these systems where we can actually trade these markets 24 seven, 365 from the comfort of our own home. You don't have to be some kind of crazy institutional investor. You don't have to have God tier money. So I get the frustration, but at the same time, like crypto has allowed like people like myself with no money to do well and to create a job for myself and work from home. So I like to look at the positive aspect.
1: Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code hash20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinestcom forward slash ideas. Now, let's talk
4: about institutional (laughs) investors. The financial big dogs, Charles Schwab, Citadel, Fidelity, and others are launching a crypto exchange called EDX Markets. Now, we've witnessed a growing amount of traditional finance companies getting involved in crypto in some way, and now it seems that some of the largest are jumping in head first. EDXM's board of directors said in a statement, crypto is a $1 trillion global asset class with over 300 million participants and pent up demand for millions more. Unlocking this demand requires a platform that can meet the needs of both retail traders and institutional investors with high compliance and security standards. Will, I'm going to kick this one down to you. What do you think? Do you think these guys are going to be able to achieve what they set out to do?
2: This story is for the boomers and for the people who are in the really boring <laughs> angles of crypto. but. It's extremely important. So, you know, Sage Wisdom, if you're in the space long enough, you know the stories to pick up on. There's an exchange called Backed that launched back in 2017, 2018. These had tried to launch for a few times and didn't quite get off the ground. I think it finally made it like in 2020. It's kind of like the little engine that could made it up the hill finally and launched. And it was to basically no one caring, even though there was so much money put into the project, so much time. So many institutional investors pushed into it. And now to my knowledge, no one's really talking about it, right? We're talking about FTX. We're now really talking about backed. And the reason for this is because it's a very crowded room you're walking into. No matter how many institutional investors want to get in the doors, no matter how many traditional TradFi people want to build projects in crypto, it's pretty crowded already. Like, There's a lot of chains. There's a lot of people building DEXs. There's a lot of sexes out there. Binance is huge. FTX is huge. Coinbase is huge. It's really hard to build something like this. What these guys are trying to do is use their tradfi knowledge and build an exchange that makes sense for institutional investors, makes sense for retail. I'm saying it's going to be an uphill battle. That being said, the people that they do have on board with this are very interesting, especially Fidelity. Fidelity is well known for its interest in the Bitcoin space. They started looking into Bitcoin back in 2014, 2013. They even started mining back in 2014. And a lot of the prominent people in the Bitcoin space actually were Fidelity employees at one point, like Nick Carter and Amanda Fabiano, uh, just to name a few. There's a Fidelity gang, quote unquote, out there in crypto. And they are a lot of times just original Fidelity folk that went out into space, they're now VCs, executives, et cetera. So if you had to pick a team, and you had to pick a few companies to get behind something like this and move into the space so late, this is who you want. Last note on before I throw it up to Wendy, this integration does look really promising because a lot of these accounts are already set up to be integrated live with people who might not have exposure to this, but probably do want exposure and want exposure through trusted parties, right? Don't want to make a Coinbase account. They don't want to make an FTX account because they don't know who that is. They want to use their traditional broker and they'll do it if they have the option. They'll buy Bitcoin if they have the option. Wendy, I'll throw it up to you.
0: So I do think that this is very positive news in the long scheme of things, and one of the reasons why is, is we do know that we are going to get heavy regulations when it comes to stable coins. And I do remember re- some of the things that I read that these stable coins do have to have some sort of custody or be backed by a bank, some, something along those lines. And I know that's not all of the information, but I think it's going to be important to get big players like this in the space as much as I dislike it. And I also wanted to comment, I'm currently in the process of reorganizing my YouTube channel, and I remember 2018, 2019, that was all we talked about was backed. That was it. Is this a back pump? Is yep. it a back dump? What's happening? <laughs> and it's just so funny because that was the title of so many of my videos. And I'm like, oh, my God, how lame were we back in 2019? <laughs> That's all. We had. That's nice, that fun. was Yeah, it was literally like that. That was the news. So this is I don't necessarily think this is going to be like backed. I think like this is going to be a little bit more organized. But again, we're going to need big players like this to come into the space as much as I hate it.
3: So I think that one of the interesting things about this, you know, we're talking about the parts about this that are good. One party for whom this is bad is Coinbase. Coinbase, which went public last year, you know, is another one of those companies that at the time came out with a very high IPO price. And I remember there was at least one particular group of analysts out there who were saying, hey, this is about 90% too high relative to what the true market value of this thing is going to be, because if these markets progress like traditional markets have, then we will see a race to the bottom in terms of prices. And this will become a very, very, very competitive space. I think that really that's what this says to me is that this is becoming a very, very, very competitive space. And it's worth noting that really there are two different spaces. There are the US regulated companies of which Coinbase is sort of the, the champion from the world of crypto. And then there are the unregulated spaces that, you know, primarily do not service U.S. customers because they don't want to be under those rules. And you'll notice that the non-U.S.-based exchanges like Binance and FTX are certainly seeing significantly more success than the companies like Coinbase who have bet on the U.S.-regulated path. So it's an interesting note. They could be the winner of a much smaller sector, but still the winner in a big sense for themselves. But that would come at the cost of Coinbase, which has already suffered quite a bit. Well done to you.
2: Yeah, I agree that there's going to be a race to the bottom. I guess the question is like, when does that happen and how fast does it happen? I think there's going to be some movement there, but it takes so long and the pie is still so big. There's so many people to onboard still. Bitcoin's really small. I think we forget about that. And something like this definitely broadens the horizons. It brings in millions of people. Fidelity is the largest 401k provider for companies out there. Imagine all those people just getting to Bitcoin just a little bit. There's some hopium for you today on Taco Tuesday. When you give it to you for last take-home story?
0: I'm just kind of curious to see, like, are they going to offer FDIC, FDIC insurance? Like, how, how are they going to operate? Are they going to be operating similar to like a Coinbase, oh, similar to an now. FTX US? So I think the that the story is subject. important and I think it's oh, well. worth following and speaking about because I feel like the standards that this particular exchange is going to get held to is going to end up becoming an industry standard for crypto as a whole. So at least we'll be able to get some sort of clarity as to what the crypto exchanges need to do or what... I don't know. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll see.
4: Wendy, let's go to your story to wrap it up.
0: Okay. So another one (laughs) bites the dust here. Can you guys hear me okay?
4: I can hear you. I think everyone can hear you. I think that it's them that are having the issue. It's the boys. I'm back They're... now. I <laughs> the
0: hear boys, for a they second. just yeah. had
4: to ruin everything
0: on Taco Tuesday. <laughs> they are not sure okay? sure They're not a having take. a corntastic day. Okay. They're not having a corn day on Taco Tuesday. Anyways, another <laughs> one bites the dust. Bitcoin miner pooling to issue IOU tokens after suspending withdrawals. So apparently this was one of the largest Bitcoin mining pools and they will be issuing IOU tokens to customers who are impacted after the pool froze withdrawals last week, which was due to a liquidity crisis, which is going to end up becoming a meme because every single exchange that's gone down has been impacted by a liquidity crisis. Where are their market makers? I don't even know anymore. Anyways, they said it will calculate user balances across native wallet and mining pool before issuing six IOU tokens. IOU will reflect one to one ratio of user balances across Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDT, Litecoin, Zcash, and Doge. The intention is to burn IOU tokens batch by batch, and users can withdraw these tokens at any time. I actually want to toss this over to Will because I know that you are a mining guy and you work for a mining company.
2: Okay, you can hear me though, just checking, right? I think we're all good. Yeah, we at this can point. hear you. Taco Tuesday almost uh, splattered on its face there. But we're back. Let's talk about this mining story. (laughs) Disclosure, I do work for a mining company, so I have a little take on this as well. Poolin is a pretty important Bitcoin pool in this space. What they do is basically allow you to point your Bitcoin machine at the pool, then the pool collects all that hash rate and points it at the Bitcoin network. Bitcoin network gives Bitcoin back to the pool, and then the pool breaks it up and gives it all to the miners who are using their work to earn Bitcoin. In this instance, Poolin, which has been growing pretty extensively, had a liquidity crunch, meaning they were not able to pay out their miners, or at least that's what we know so far. This is likely due, but not for sure known because of a few projects they booted up, including with the likes of 3Euros Capital and BlockFi back in the spring. Uh, Poolin was working on some really interesting loan products that included 3O's Capital as like a lending lending service. BlockFi was involved in the lending service. A lot of these projects we don't know much about, right? We just have some blog posts and we don't have much follow-up, but we know what happened with 3O's Capital. We know what happened with BlockFi. And so maybe there's a reason why liquidity problems are happening at Poolin. Pools are actually pretty basic models. There's not much complexity to them. So seeing something like this is actually a little odd, right? So you have to look for some sort of third-party reason for why they're having problems. And a lending scheme that went south is something that sort of makes sense. Now, Poolin is trying to make investors whole, and they're doing the classic Bitfinex technique, which is launch a token and hope that one day you make all the money back and you can pay out investors. It is an IOU. It's basically a share in the company. And I think you can even swap these tokens for shares in the company or for machines themselves. It's an interesting strategy. It has worked in the past for some exchanges and for some parties out there that have had losses, but it also has not worked in the past. And so we'll have to find out if Poolin is strong enough to move through this. One note is they have lost a lot of their Bitcoin hash rate. So the amount of miners using their service has
3: decreased by about half since this occurred. Adam, I'm going to throw it up to so you get your take. Yeah. So as you said, this type of sort of IOU token is not without precedent. It has been used in the past, both to good results and bad results. And it's worth sort of considering what the point of doing something like this is. Because you look at a project like Mt. Gox, Mount Gox obviously collapsed in the spring of 2013 many years ago, and people who had balances there still have not seen any money come out of that. So that's kind of what this token is intended to do. It's intended to allow people to effectively harness free market mechanisms to make decisions that are better than simply having no option and having your balance just stuck there. And essentially, what happens is there's two types of users here. One type of user needs short term liquidity, they need money now, and they, it's not like good enough to just be like, hey, there's a balance here. That's the worst outcome for them. So, what tokenizing these debts effectively do is they allow somebody to then take their balances and to sell them at a discount on a separate market to somebody who has a longer term frame who doesn't need money right now but who over the next couple of years, perhaps, would like to make a greater return than they would if they you know, just were holding straight Bitcoin. Now, there is an element of risk here, and that's where the discount comes in. The more people think that the project isn't going to respond or isn't going to recover from this and eventually pay these back, the lower the price will be that you can get for selling those IOUs today. And conversely, to the extent that people believe that they are going to pay them back, the higher the price will be. Uh, you know, relatively speaking, but it will still trade it at a discount in really any sort of reasonable circumstance. It's also worth discussing briefly, as, as sort of Will mentioned, that this is weird for a pool to be insolvent. And really, that's what we're talking about here. The reason why you freeze withdrawals is because you are functionally insolvent today. They are claiming that that insolvency will is a temporary thing and that they will not be insolvent at some point in the future and that would rely on effectively investments that they've made with what certainly to me on the outside look like customer mind funds uh you know being being able to claw that back so to the extent that it's three arrows capital that they loan this money to well then they got to earn it back with fees and as you said that's a challenging dynamic when they're losing a lot of their market share by nature of people not really trusting them because they are functionally insolvent so it's a difficult situation, but these types of tokens do at least give people options. And I'm always in favor of people having options that then allow them to pick what is the best worst case scenario for them. Will, I saw your hand go up. What's up?
2: Yeah. Two last thoughts on this is we don't know what the three arrows capital and BlockFi relationship was. The time was disclosed as some sort of minor financing program, which was really popular over the bull market as the prices of machines went up quite a ton. People were figuring out oh, like, how do I buy this thing in the first place? Let alone plug it in. And so we saw a lot of these minor financing programs pop up, but they're new, they're odd. It's hard to price these things. And a lot of these projects actually fell flat on their face. But that's not necessarily unsurprising. It's also another relationship here with Poolin, where they actually are a big mining firm itself, not just a pool. You have to ask yourself, like maybe this is related to that. We've seen a lot of miners struggle recently as energy prices have gone up and Bitcoin price has gone down to the depths. Uh, so we don't really know yet. I would love to see some investigative reporting around this. Pullen is definitely a big fixture within the Bitcoin space. I think a lot of people will be upset if this thing goes any more south. Jen, to you.
4: Yeah, the story says that users on Telegram are confused about how this IOU token works. And so just like I do before every story like this, I went on off to the Poolin website to find out if they are communicating exactly how this works and what it means. And surprise, surprise. They are not. And so I think for this token to work, as Adam was saying earlier, you know, people need to believe in the token. They need to believe in what you're saying. And if you're not mentioning anything about how this actually works for your end user, it's a complete disservice to this, to the entire plan that you've created to solve the problem at hand. And so I really, really urge projects in this space to have a proper communications plan, even if it's bad news. If you can tell the user what to expect, why it happened and that you're working on it it's better than just not saying anything at all and hoping that everything will work out wendy
0: marketing and communications are immensely important in every single industry it doesn't matter if it's a tech-driven industry you still need people to articulate what is happening into an easy to understand way because if you don't do that no one knows what's happening and number
2: goes down
0: that's exactly it love
2: it Couldn't agree more. Okay, well we've talked a lot about Taco Tuesday. So it's time to see the animation.
3: It's Taco Tuesdays on the hash. (laughs) Oh that's good. No, no, did you have to say that
4: with such a disappointing tone?
3: You need enthusiasm for tacos. Well, the tacos are right. getting more expensive. It's it's sad. They are. It is yeah, sad. Inflation pro- is really food killing prices, everything. percent.
0: It's no longer two for one dollar tacos at Jack in the Box after you've had a long night of drinking green tea.
2: No, <laughs> green tea, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that's the hash for today. It's Tuesday. Thanks for hanging out with us for the last half hour. There we go. Little Zach Seward. Adam, we might throw you <laughs> in there. Back of the bus. Let's see. You could probably go right behind Jen there. We open up that Goodness. window. Or we could
4: put Adam in the driver's seat.
2: Goodness. he could also be That's the driver. Say about that. Or we could put you under the bus. Who knows? <laughs> Tacos are definitely getting more expensive these days. So we'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm Will Foxley. as Jen Tanassi. Wendy O. And Adam B. Levine. This is The Hash. Thanks for watching.
1: You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network.